Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. I'll be reading Galatians. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, turn, turn to Galatians. Yeah. Ephesians, how long have I been preaching through Ephesians? Eight months? <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 31 through 5, 2. I'll be reading verses 31 through chapter 5, verse 2. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and errant Word to us. His church. And so, Father, I, as a preacher, as a teacher, and as a Christian, all of us, we need your work. I'm desperate, Father, to be able, as a sinner being saved by grace, to be faithful to this text. When it hurts. So would you grace all of us. As I speak. And as we hear. With the presence of your spirit. That causes conviction. And causes great hope. And joy. In the glorious. Gospel of our salvation. To the glory. Of our Savior. Amen. Oh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is really, really good. He takes sinners like us. And He did something long before we were born. He sent His Son. And whether being raised in a Christian family or as a Muslim or with... Nothing. Somehow, some way, the gospel got to us. But more than just hearing the truth of Jesus' substitutionary death and substitutionary life, living our righteousness and His resurrection historically from the dead, we heard it if we are Christians right now. Something happened and we heard it as the greatest news possible. The light of the glory of God in the face of Christ shone unto us. We found ourselves believing. And we found His body, the church. We read in the Word and we look back. Oh, that's what happened to me. I say all that now to preface this way. If that's you... The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit now, says to every believer that our lives now, since new birth until the grave, 
it's, it's like a, a vicious rivalry on a, on a football field. Except it's going on inside of our own hearts. There's two teams. The team of evil, old, deceptive, sinful inclinations. And the new team by the presence of the Spirit and new birth. And the battle rages. And in this text, Paul gives a a pre-game speech to don't let the evil... The vindictive, the malicious, the hateful, sinful team within you and within your emotions, don't let it win the game. And not only does he give that pregame pep talk, he gives us the strategy to win. He says, team, church, Christians, as you go out there, let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander, along with all malice, let it be gone from you. Go out there, in other words, and beat those guys. How? By being kind to one another. By having a deep-seated heart of compassion that is tender toward one another. How? By forgiving one another. In other words, the key to victory, guys, as we go out there, is to be imitators of God as His beloved children. And thus walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice for God. That's Christian life. It's a core part of it. And it's so crucial because what he deals with here, anger. Anger in all its different forms, all of its related emotions, are constantly trying to cause us not to walk in forgiveness in kindness and in compassion that anger is a killer it splits churches it destroys marriages it causes adult children to not visit or have relationship with their aging parents and so this morning I'm going to assume that we who profess to be Christians, I'm going to just assume that we actually love the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we hunger to take these verses with all seriousness in order to be convicted, in order to be encouraged to grow and to obey our Savior. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to simply walk through this text unfolding the clear meaning that's there and let he or she who has ears to hear hear what the Holy Spirit says to each believer. Here in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 31 to 32 Paul gives six terms which describe of this whole section. 
Take off the old. You've been born again. But your old nature still beckoning. Take it off and put on the new. And he says, here are six terms we are to be taking off. And then he gives three terms that we are to be putting on. Those six terms right there in verse 31. Bitterness. Wrath. Anger. Clamor. Slander. And malice. Now, let me just start off kind of backwards. The New Testament scholar, Peter O'Brien, summarizes verse 31 this way. Anger in all its forms and the vices associated with it are to be removed totally from the readers. Paul's list appears to be climactic, progressing from an inner resentful attitude through its indignant outburst and seething rage to public shouting and abusive language or cursing. And I think he nails it. Now, weeks ago, we saw in verse 26 that there is a non-sinful anger. And don't let it turn in to sin. But put it, putting that tiny aspect of anger aside, this morning Paul points his guns at all the destructive kind of anger that we are in constant battle with. And he means not just anger, but all of its varying contours and aspects of its expression and how it may be hidden and come out in different ways from some people than from others. And I say all of its aspects because of Paul's use of the word all. He uses it twice here in verse 31. Not just these six things, but get rid of all bitterness. Any kind you can think of. And he goes on and on. To all. In other words, every form of these six things. So, let's first look at those, those six. The first thing he mentions for us to not keep around is a nice pet. But to get rid of, it's the word in Greek, pikria. Correctly translated here, bitterness. Now, this is the word that, that refers to an intense resentment toward another. A hatred that just grows towards that person. Bitterness grows. It's that emotion of bitterness that grows and grows over time as we concentrate on that offense or those offenses. And it causes us to protect our anger by preaching to ourselves, it is my right, it is my duty to not let that anger disappear. I'm in the right, that was unjust, and therefore, I will hold on to it because I believe in justice. And so we continue to play a particular scenario over and over in our heads. And as the, the fisherman with the fish story, the fish gets bigger and bigger. As we play that scenario over, we get better and better. 
in the midst of it. And the other gets worse and worse until we know they are the hated villain that we always thought they should be. That's bitterness working. Day and night, week after week, month after month. A pastor tells a story, quote, I once counseled a woman who pulled out a notebook with 16 pages dealing and detailing every major wrong that her husband had committed against her over the years. She thought that she had an airtight case that justified her anger. I glanced at it and said, the first thing you need to do is to burn this notebook. She did not like that advice. But she should. Because the Holy Spirit tells us, through the writer, the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 15, see to it, see to it, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up causes trouble and by it many be defiled to the extent that you let bitterness grow is to the extent the other people in your life and around you are defiled But even worse than that, according to this verse, it reveals that as we are harboring, not dealing with, not wanting to get away or or to shoo away the bitterness from our hearts is to the extent we are not receiving the grace of God. So He first says to us, all bitterness... Get rid of it. Second word is the word thumos, translated here as wrath. This is the word that points to a burning, intense anger. It's actually the word thumos. You want to talk about in that time, how do you, boiling water? It's from the word thumos. It boils, right? Just boiling anger. And that's why the, the NIV here decides to translate it instead of wrath. They, dis, they translate, it's a good translation, rage. This is the same word, this rage, that Luke uses in Luke 4 when the men of Jesus' hometown, at the synagogue that day, right? Jesus said some words and they were livid. Luke says, They were enraged. And that's what caused them to try to kill Jesus that day. Throw him off a cliff. Same word Luke again uses in the book of Acts. Years later when the riot happens in Ephesus. When when Paul's in town. And what he's preaching. And Luke tells us when they heard this. They were enraged. Same word. Thumos. 
and crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, for, what is it, next three hours or so, a riot happens. Anger in its rage. That's this word. But the word is so close to it in the, in the New Testament, times almost synonymous, you can go with one or the other, is the next word, orge, which is translated here just with anger. Now, with rage and anger, Paul here most likely is, is pointing to that steady, ongoing anger in relationship with other persons. Another right here, I don't think he's pointing to when you're, you're, you're hitting the nail with a hammer and you miss and you, and you hit your thumb. Okay, anger comes and then it goes. He's talking about in your lifestyle of anger at an offense. It's connected to your rage and connected to your bitterness. He uses these same two words together here and he uses them again in Colossians 3, uh, verses 7 to 8. And he says it this way. In these, you two once walked, of course, before you were born again. You once walked when you were living in them. But Christian, now you must put them all away. Orge and thumos. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive talk from your mouth. So both rage and that just seething anger, they are destructive to harmony in a marriage, in a home, in an office, in the local church. And then Paul adds the word krauge, translated clamor. Clamor. This, see, this, that's a good translation. This is the word in Greek, or like the English word clamor, that refers to screaming, shouting. Your anger just, just explodes in the tone and everything else. It's, an, it's, it's anger that shouts and yells. And thus he's pointing to the lack of self-control over one's emotions of anger with this word, clamor. Crowgay. If you, with your wife, or with your husband, or with a friend, or in the office, or on the job site, or at a Bible study, if you resort Clamor, that is angrily yelling and cursing and name-calling. This is what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is forbidding very clearly here. Stop it. it. It's the clamor that at its peak can even get violent with its words. And maybe even its fist. And this is why the, new, the NIV decided to translate it, instead of clamor, they translated it brawling. 
It, it's not just loud. Some of us are more loud by nature and others are real quiet. That's not the point here. The point here, this is a type of language that it, it is a brawl. It's a, it's, it's a linguistic battle of anger with the words. It's a fight and may even get violent. Paul says, put away all screaming and yelling and cussing people out. And then, he says, also now, remove all slandering of others. That word translated, slander here is the word in Greek, blasphemia. Yeah, you heard it. That's where we get our English. Blasphemy. And it's used, of course, in the Gospels a lot concerning speaking of God. And Jesus is accused of it. But this, outside of the religious community in the Greco-Roman world of the time, was a street word that essentially meant profane and abusive speech. And so Paul's saying to them here, you've got to put all this profane and abusive speech away. Particularly with this abuse, how? The way you gossip in order to make people's reputation look bad. Or even worse than gossip, slander, which is particularly lying about things about people. Put them away. Put these five away. And it's just like, if you look at the text, like Paul takes a breath, and then he, then he adds this summarizing phrase. Along with, those five, along with all malice. Just restate that. Along with every form of evil intentions. That's what it means. It's the word kakia, malice, which means he's saying get rid of all mean-spirited, vicious attitudes toward others. It refers to the desire to harm another person, either emotionally or even physically. It's malice. As it rises up, he says, don't feed it. Get rid of it. Get rid of all of these. That's verse 31. Oh, thank goodness for the gospel. Because Christianity isn't, that's great, you came to Jesus. Okay, now, you'll see, you'll, you'll see him again at second coming and say hi then, but now you go off and just be a better person. It's not Christianity. None of us can do what he said. None of us can truly do any of this to any degree without the power of the gospel. And that's where Paul goes next. To the next verse, verse 32. He drives home again the miraculous work of the gospel in the hearts of believers. See, in verse 31, he doesn't just say, Stop feeling these things. He does say that. That's what's, he doesn't just say, Stop acting. He says, Stop feeling particular ways. But he doesn't stop there. This is where it gets really radical. In, in place of that bitterness, 
seething anger, malicious evil intentions and thoughts. How can I get back? He says, don't just stop that and go home. Replace it with different feelings. Kindness. And then he uses this word, splanknoi. You're from the guts. They spoke of How do you get down to, I got such a deep, tender care and feeling for another person. This is the word they use. He says, feel that. He doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it there because here's his key. Forgiving. Forgiving one another. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. He's not done. As God in Christ forgave you. That's the power of the gospel to work what he calls for. Again, let me just... Paul says essentially, in a more wordy way, the same thing, in Colossians 3, 12-13, this way. Christian, put on then, it's the same metaphor he's using, take off old, put on new clothes, put on then, as God's chosen ones, as God's holy and beloved, put on what? Put on splanknoi. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with other sinners being saved. Okay, that's my paraphrase. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint, Against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So here's this forgiveness. This and let's just say we can debate later. Do you forgive someone who doesn't ever ask for forgiveness? It's okay. But he, here's this letting go of bitterness. How? In the same way that God, through the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ, forgave us. That's what Paul is saying, is what leads our heart to the possibility now of kindness. And of gut-feeling, genuine compassion for those who have sinned against us. This forgiveness that he's talking about, it replaces the bitterness, the anger, the rage the malice, thoughts, and intents. The forgiveness replaces those things with tenderheartedness and kindness toward other sinners. 
like you. And this is the power of the Gospel applied by the Holy Spirit throughout the Christian life in sanctification. This is the Word of the Lord to us this morning. Let me say it all again in one paragraph. Paul is telling every one of us who claim to love the Lord Jesus, all you who name the name of Christ, get rid of burning anger and bitterness toward others and instead allow the fruit of kindness and genuine tender-heartedness to come forth. How? By forgiving one another in the body of Christ. How? By looking to the reality that God in Christ forgave you. To summarize, Paul says, be imitators of God as His beloved children. In other words, walk in love. Just, just as Christ, while you were yet in sin, suffered and died for you. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, that was the next couple verses as we were through Ephesians, so there it is. And I just feel I can't be done yet. I love clarity. I need help in my life. And I, I want to try to give more biblical substance and help. Because this is no... If it, it, unless you don't... You know, you're, you're daydreaming about the football games later today or something. But if, it, if the Holy Spirit has you gripped right now, it has you, has you, has you convicted, then... You'll be crying out like I am. Help! You might be in a period of months right now. It's no big deal. You may have experienced them before, but there's there's another one coming. There's a betrayal coming. There are things you can't imagine coming. What do you do? See what I mean? Yes, forgiveness is the key to replacing the anger and the bitterness and all of that with kindness and true compassion. This is the power of the gospel working in the saints. But most of us can think in our lives to one extent or another to grievous sin that was done to us by a mom or by a dad or by an uncle or by a close friend or by a wife or by a husband or by a boss by an employee 
And when we therefore hear, forgive Him. Forgive her. Go ahead, release your bitterness. And as Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Then something wells up with inside our souls. And it screams, this sin, this betrayal, this action is too deep. It is too damaging. It is too painful. And if I just let that bitterness and anger and get rid of that if it's someone who's never asked for forgiveness or someone asked for forgiveness and forgive them and absolve them, then it feels like there's a travesty of justice. If I just forgive them. If I actually get a tender heart and care for them. You see, after all, I mean, isn't there such a thing as righteous anger? And we talked about that weeks ago. There is such a thing as justice because there is a God. And so, isn't the anger, if, here's here, let me just say it, don't just say it once. Not all anger people feel at other people has to do with the other person sinning against them at all, necessarily. You can just be so petty. But I'm talking about real offenses that you commit against other people and that you've had committed against you. Okay? We do it. You can't get through this life without doing that. So, but when some of these go so deep, isn't the anger that I feel at sin, an injustice that I may have experienced now even personally, isn't that anger a reflection of God's moral outrage? Yes, it is. And that's why this gets really complex, right? Because the problem is this. Here's this deep sense. God created us all with this internal judicial sentiment. Even those who proclaim you know, relativism. They, <laughs> just, just do real life with them and they have one. They, they, they have ideas. They think what's right and what's wrong and what's just and what's not just. And so, my anger, this comes out of an idea of right and wrong. It feels legitimate. And that's what makes loving our enemy. Or that's what makes forgiveness so hard. So, to help, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans 12:19 is so crucial. Because this is the the walk of a Christian is a walk of faith. Faith doesn't mean I have no clue, but I'll just kind of believe into the nether worlds. It's not faith. Faith means to trust. Trust what? 
But you can't trust anything unless you have words. Like the Gospel. And like the untold numerous promises in the Scripture that Jesus suffered, died, and rose to secure for us. And He promises. And we believe Him. That's faith. And therefore, this verse, Romans 12, 19, is crucial to battling the anger, the bitterness, desire for revenge, clamor. Beloved, believer, never avenge yourselves, but leave that to the wrath of God. Okay, here comes the promise. Because it's written. This is God speaking now. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. See, this, how would I, I'm going, okay, I like, okay, I'll use some gurry. This is the trick. You don't like to, this is the key to being able to never not love justice, love justice. It's, forgiveness is not about pretending stuff isn't bad. This is how you love justice. Keep it. Hold wanting to right the wrongs. And at the same time, extending forgiveness. Or if that's not available to you, extending revenge is not in my domain and I can rest. See, God here, it says, intervenes as the avenger so that we can go ahead and acknowledge sin. But at the same time, we are free from being the judge and the jury and the executioner because we trust God. Because we trust the gospel. God's promise says right here, and it, it, it admits, it's right there, it's just, it just assumed. Yes, an injustice has been committed against you. Yes, that sin deserves to be punished. And probably in no way that you can see, that person has not been punished. But is eating and drinking and being merry. And yet, you, dear Christian, may not be the one who meets out the just punishment. You may not take your own personal revenge. Why? Because God will make sure justice is done perfectly. God will repay the verse says. 
I don't think any of us can improve on God's justice. He sees everything far better than we do. But if we walk out of here, or you walk out of a room three months from now, having to deal with this particular issue, and we say no to Romans 12, 19. I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm not letting it go. Well then, what we're doing there is showing that we are not trusting God. We don't trust His promise to us here. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And that's why Paul's command now to us to forgive, or even to not take your own revenge, why that command is a central aspect of the Christian walk. The evidence of your salvation. It is at the core of what it is to walk by faith. Matters to walk by trusting in God's promises. Do you believe this promise? The issue of releasing bitterness and revengeful feelings is an issue of faith in God's promises. Now, now I just want to—I want you can either turn. I'm going to turn for a moment to First Peter two. Now, here's the question: In human history, if there were any human being who had a perfect right to be angry and vengeful and to take things into his own hands it would be that man Jesus yes he's God eternal but we're not talking about his divine nature he is 100% just like you and me except without sin in his humanity How did he deal with such injustice and abuse thrown at him? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, verses 22 to 23. Listen carefully. He, Jesus, committed no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Okay, now you've got to hear this. When he was reviled, the things that were said to him and about him and at him, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered being tortured, he did not threaten. How, Jesus? The next clause. But instead, he continued entrusting himself 
to Him who judges justly. This means that the Lord Jesus had faith. It means He trusted the truth that God, Almighty God, His Father's righteous judgment is coming in the future and therefore Jesus in His earthly sojourn did not need to avenge Himself because He entrusted that to God. Now, you think, oh, that's a stretch. I mean, it's hard to follow Jesus. He's perfect. I want you to notice why Peter actually wrote that. It's in the verse before. Verse 21. For to this, Christian, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that we might follow in His steps. And then He says, here's Christ's example. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. That is the only way I know for those who have suffered horrific sin at the hands of another, the murder of a loved one, the sexual molestation as a child, the betrayal of a business partner, or any other kind of partner like a spouse. And particularly when you're talking about unbelievers who may never recognize, never come to you, admit their sin, and say, please forgive me. How do we not take the revenge? How do we get, how do we release it? He gives us that there. Okay, but I said that this way because the problem seems to grow, doesn't it? When we're talking about forgiving one another. And that means who are in Christ. Okay, right here. Let it go. Here's the promise. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Don't take it into your own hands, but leave it to the wrath of God. But, wait a minute. Assuming it just makes that these are were genuine Christian, genuine Christian sin, they repent and they, they ask me for forgiveness. But that was just I don't know. It's too painful. How can I, how can this just verse work? Leave it to the wrath of God. There's no wrath awaiting Christians. And that's true. There's no eternal wrath. And so if God's promise of judgment, of wrath that is coming, is the grounds, is the power to not take our own vengeance. Let it go. For the unbeliever, what's the basis of letting go and forgiving believers who do repent? 
I mean, it's not as if, oh, our righteous indignation at some terrible offense, yeah, it just disappears. Oh, oh, you're a Christian. <laughs> it actually could be much more painful if that Christian person is your spouse or close friend and brother in the Lord or pastor. And he says, leave it to the wrath of God. But we know. Now, I think they're a genuine Christian. Well, then there is therefore now no condemnation for them from God in Christ Jesus. There is no wrath. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, For God has not destined us believers in Jesus for wrath, but instead to obtain salvation. Through our Lord Jesus. So what do we do to deal with the rising righteous anger coming out of our sense of right and wrong and I have been sinned against? How does the gospel empower us to take sin seriously and at the same time to forgive grievous wrongs that have been done to us. In our text, Paul says this, you do it this way, forgive one another in the body of Christ, just as God forgave you through Christ. The answer is we look to the cross We look to the cross of Christ. All wrongs, all injustices, all sins that have been committed against you by another believer, they were avenged by God. They were left to the wrath of God. And He took vengeance on those sins in the death of His Son, Jesus. The suffering and the slaughter of Christ was God's justice meted out against every sin Every betrayal, every hurt, every slight, every disrespect that any of us have or will ever receive at the hands of fellow believers. Whether it's a wife or a husband or a friend or a boss or a pastor. Christianity never makes light of sin. But God takes sin and He takes every sin that you've ever committed against others. And He takes every sin that was ever committed against you with blood-earnest seriousness. So much so that it took God, the second person, to become a human being in order to be raised up and to grow up in order mainly to go to the cross And have God take vengeance on those sins of everyone 
who will come to faith in Him. Oh, that's the power of forgiveness. To unbeliever or to believers. When God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, the meaning is profound. Not only is it true that He will take revenge on judgment day with an everlasting hell, but it also means He has taken vengeance for all who are being saved by means of the cross of Christ. This means that we have no need, nor do we have a right to hold on to bitterness towards anyone, unbeliever or a believer. God solved that deep intellectual and moral problem in the cross. If you're a believer and you get to the cross, your problem is solved. Nobody gets away with anything. Aren't you glad? Oh gosh, I'm so happy. As a Christian, I'm happy. Because of my sin. Nor anybody. The, the, those travesties that are far from you that you only hear about in the news or those that are very up close and in family and in people you know very intimate. No one gets away with anything. If they do, there is no God. But there is a God and there is a Savior. He has solved, solved our problem of not taking sin lightly, of knowing the effect, of feeling appropriate anger at it, and now i got to deal with it and deal with it with forgiveness. Turn now into gentleness because of the cross of Christ. We can trust Him. And so... What Paul is saying to every believer is that when pain of being wronged is felt deep down in your emotions, When the distance between two friends grows, because of offenses, when the tension in marriages is silently loud. No matter what side of the given offense that you're on, and you will be on both sides, the giver of offense and the receiver, we look to the cross. We look to 1 John 1.9. If we 
confess our sins. God is faithful. God is just to forgive us our sins. He will not deny His Son's sacrifice. Oh, what good news. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we Christians who are in the wrong and are being called to account in a relationship, we're being rebuked, we can say, God, really? Okay, I see it. And we can look that other person in the eye and say, I sinned against you. I am sorry. Please, forgive me. And then, the other believer can respond. Yes. Yes. I forgive you. It's gone. I'm not going to file it away in a drawer. And bring it up at an opportune time. It's gone. I forgive you. Our Savior died for both you and me. And yes, He did. He even died for that sin against me. And then, both of us as believers can bathe in Ephesians 4, verses 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we're needed at this moment. You are working deeply in hearts. And where it's not at this moment felt so needed, that You'll be working, building something up inside of all of us that we will need in a way we can never dream of someday. We love Your Son, Father. We love Him because You first loved us, yet while we were in darkness, in sin, You sent forth Your Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us whom you have chosen the foundation of the world so that you would bring us from death to life 
to behold the beauty and the glory of this gospel of salvation that you have put away our just deserts forever in the sacrifice of your son a sweet smelling aroma to your nostrils through us being saved forever and ever you are good amen Let us stand. Oh, my God.